perhaps lost its challenge, the expertly trimmed hedges. The inn was sheathed in white clabberds and shingles and sported a chimney that tilted slightly forward. The windows, unadorned, shone in the morning light. Like many houses built at the turn of the century, it had gables of differing widths and porches sprouting unconventionally at odd angles. The outline of the roof, Harrison thought, would be almost impossible to draw from memory. Inside, the inn had the same turn-of-the-century feel, with ornate woodwork and oversized windows. It also had a crisp edge that had been accomplished in part, Harrison thought, with a great deal of white paint and chrome. Much as he admired the inn, however, he wondered if visitors ever lamented the lost house, the one Carl Lasky had inhabited. This used to be an inn years ago, Nora said. After World War II, it became a private home. There's an early photograph behind you on the wall. Harrison stood and leaned in toward the wall, balancing himself with his hand on the back of the couch. The photograph, framed in dark walnut, was remarkably detailed and clear. Every blade of grass and twig made distinct, with a kind of vision denied the naked eye. The picture was of a white-shingled building with a cupola on its roof. It looked to be November or early March, to judge from the light dusting of snow that outlined the furrows of a garden. At the river's edge there was a trail of mist, but he saw on closer inspection that it was really smoke from a moving train, the train itself a blur, merely a shadow. The photograph dates from 1912, Nora said. It was made from a glass negative. There's a rose garden there and a racetrack. Harrison sat again on the couch and wondered if anyone else had arrived yet. He had wanted to be the first, to see Nora without the noise of the others. It was an inn, then a house, and then an inn again, he asked. She smiled at his confusion. When Carl and I moved here, it had already been in use as a private house for years. We lived here for fifteen years. After he died, I had the idea of reconverting it to an inn. It had always wanted to be an inn, even when it was a house. How many rooms are there? There used to be twenty-two. How did you manage? We closed most of the rooms off. Would you like more coffee? No, thanks. I'm fine. Any of the others here yet? Agnes said she'd be here by lunch. Bill and Bridget, too. Rob won't be here until later. Rob's coming? Harrison asked with pleasure. He hadn't seen Rob Zor in, well, in 27 years. Harrison was startled by the number and recalculated. Yes, 27. He's in Boston now, isn't he? I think I read that. He performs all over the world. He gets wonderful reviews. I was surprised to hear he was a pianist. He kept it quiet at Kid, didn't he? I think he tried to resist it. It seems like this wedding came together very fast, he said. It certainly did. Too fast for Harrison's wife, Evelyn, to rearrange her schedule. Bill had sent Harrison an email saying that he and Bridget were getting married at the inn and he wanted Harrison and Evelyn to come. Harrison and Bill had for a time kept in touch. Their families had gone skiing together twice, but Harrison had had no idea at all about Bill and Bridget. Bridget's ill, Nora added. It's why Bill wants to do it now. How ill? Harrison asked. Very, Nora said, her face tight. Do you remember them together? At school? Of course. Bill had been a muscular catcher, a power hitter who had routinely sent the baseball over the fences. Bridget, a serious girl, was pretty in a slightly plump way. In another era, she'd have been a beauty. 
The couple used to cross the campus so entwined, it was as if they were one creature. Harrison recalled how disillusioned he had been when he'd heard that each had married someone else. How did they reconnect? he asked now. Our 25th? Did you ever go to any of the reunions? He shook his head. He'd told himself that he hadn't gone for Evelyn's sake. She was Canadian. She wouldn't have known anyone. The journey would have consumed too many of her precious days off. But Harrison couldn't satisfactorily explain why he hadn't gone by himself. The simple answer, he supposed, was that he hadn't wanted to. The sight of the invitations had produced in him an anxiety he had no intention of exploring. Even this small reunion, this hasty wedding, had made him hesitate. You? he asked. Nora shook her head, and Harrison was not surprised. He could not imagine Carl Lasky at a kid reunion. Have you seen any of the others? Nora asked. Since school, I mean? Well, Bill, he said, and I met Jerry in New York about five years ago. We had drinks. He's coming with his wife, Julie, Nora said. What was it like, meeting Jerry? He mostly wanted me to know how successful he'd become, Harrison said, and then shrugged to take the edge off the unkind comment. You'll stay until Sunday? Nora asked. I think that's the plan. Harrison had flown from Toronto to Hartford, rented a car, and driven to the Massachusetts Turnpike, which he had followed west. He'd realized, as he'd driven, that he'd never been to western Massachusetts. When he had visited New England before, it had always been to Boston, and then straight on to Kidd in Maine, never inland. He'd known of the Berkshires, of course. Tanglewood, the summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, was world-famous. Edith Wharton had summered in Lenox. Melville had written Moby Dick in Pittsfield. There are some good walks, Nora said, gesturing toward the windows.